Last week we talked about prayer, so I uh, am grateful to be able to pray long prayers like that with you because it's one of the most important things we can do as believers. Amen? Amen. It's good to be together again and, 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 and as a campus to be gathered around God's word this morning. This morning we're actually continuing our series in Invincible Church, right? I mentioned that we spoke about prayer last week. Before that we talked about worship. Before that we talked about the church being the hope of the world. We've been re-engaging what it means to be the church. What God says his church is. What it means to be a people of God formed around the shape of the cross. Empowered by the resurrection. And this morning our focus is on the gathering of the church. Why we gather, what happens when we gather, how do we gather? So to get at the heart of what it means to gather as a church this morning, we're going to turn to one of my favorite passages in Acts, in Acts 2, 42 through 47. So if you'd open your Bible to the book of Acts, scroll on your phones, that's okay too. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the words up on the screen. And if you are able, please stand as we read God's word. Acts 2. 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, once upon a time, there were two couples who lived on the same street. In fact, they had been married on the same day at the same time. The weddings were beautiful. Honeymoon was super restful. But within a few months, the first couple had something unexpected happen. The husband, who was in the military, was put on active duty. And for the next 12 months, he had to serve overseas. They knew it was going to be hard not to be able to be with each other in person. And it wasn't what they would have chosen, but they committed to each other. And so they committed to calling each other every night, to writing as often as they could, because they wanted to make it work. A few houses down, the second couple had also made a change within the first few months of their marriage. You see, before they were married, the wife had lived in the city and the husband had lived in the suburbs and they had decided that they were gonna compromise. They compromised on where they lived and the wife actually moved out to the suburbs to be with her husband. But a few months in, she decided, I really, really do love living in the city. In fact, she had actually kept her old apartment, just kept it on there if they ever wanted to go down and they decided that, oh, yeah, it's fine. You live in the city, I'll live in the suburbs. We'll just call each other every night. And we'll write as often as we can because we want to make this work. Pastor Sergio is the one that told me this story recently. And I repeat it here because I want to illustrate our current situation in this pandemic. You see, both of these couples are similar, right? They have a similar beginning, they have a similar situation of disconnect, but there's a fundamental difference between the two. If you haven't caught it already, the first couple was disconnected by this situation beyond their control and they made it work because of the covenant. They were committed to the covenant they had made. The second couple was disconnected because of choice, demonstrating that their commitment to the covenant was based on what they preferred. The situation was similar, the motivation was different. 
We gather on Sunday mornings in this pandemic in a number of different ways. Right? We're gathering on campus with extra precautions. We gather online because of increased vulnerabilities. But we gather in all these ways, not out of preference, but out of necessity in our current situation. We gather virtually, not because we prefer the ease of a TV screen, but because of a situation beyond our control. And we long, all of us long for the day where we can all gather safely in person as the church was meant to gather. This is probably an unusual time to talk about the gathering of the church, right? But I can think of no more important time to remind ourselves to look at God's word at why we gather as we long to be together again. And this morning, Acts 2, 42 through 47 gives us this snapshot summary of the earliest church gatherings. And this is what I want to return to because it's, it's like a movie scene, even as you read it, where you've got these multiple cameras panning back and forth, kind of showing you the whole picture from a 20,000 foot view. And this passage describes the gathering of the family of God on this side of the cross from the very beginning. And I want to explain from this text why we gather, but I'm going to do it in a kind of upside down kind of way. Instead of starting with why, I want us to start with what and how. This text explains why the church gathers by explaining what happened when the church gathered and how the people of God gathered at this time. And from that, we pull out and see why we're still gathering today. It does this by explaining, by communicating four commitments of the church. Four commitments to learn, to care, to connect, and to pray. This is what's going to form our what and how. And then like promised, we'll get to the why. But before we get into what and how, if you've heard me a couple times now, you know how much I like this word. We're going to talk about context. Because context matters when we jump into a passage. You've got to know what's going on around it before we pull out what's in it. This passage is not like the letter of Philippians that I mentioned earlier that we were in a few weeks ago, right? This isn't a, a, a checklist of tacks, of, of do's and don'ts. This is a story, and it's part of a larger story. The book of Acts, if you didn't know, is actually a sequel, right? The first book is actually written by this doctor turned historian named Luke, and he wrote a book called The Gospel According to Luke, The Good News of Jesus According to Luke, and then he writes this sequel where he follows Jesus and his disciples after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, after he's ascended into heaven. And it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's probably better to call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles because this book is filled with the Spirit. It tells the story of what happened when the good news of Jesus started to spread amongst more than just a little area, how it spread all over at that point, the Roman Empire. In this sequel are six verses at the end of two very full chapters Talk about where the story gets to after Jesus, like I said, resurrects and then tells his followers to wait, which is kind of an anticlimactic way to start a story, right? Jesus comes back to life and then he says, okay, wait, I'm going to send you a gift. I'm going to send you, you have to wait here until it gets here. And then he ascends into heaven and the disciples are left looking into the sky, blinking, wondering what just happened. And kind of angels just show up and say, he told you to wait. It's not, the, it's not the end. Go do what he told you to do. So they wait. They wait. Jesus told them to wait until I have sent you this gift. And when I send you this gift, you're going to go on mission. You're going to be my witnesses throughout the world of my good news. 
So they wait. They wait and they pray. They wait and then they pick someone else to join their team because one of them didn't go over so well. If you don't know the story, he betrayed Jesus. Not good. So they picked someone else to join their team and then they wait. And they wait and then Jesus fulfills his promise. And he sends his gift. He sends his Holy Spirit. And it, the Holy Spirit fills the place up. This things start to get crazy. They start to get chaotic. So much so that people are wondering what's happening. These people are starting to do exactly what Jesus said they would do. They start to give this witness of the good news of Jesus. And they start to do it in all these different languages. And people have no idea what's going on. And it's so crazy that Peter has to stand up and tell people, all right, chill out. I'm going to explain to you what's happening. And then he gives this beautiful sermon where he walks through the story of the Bible and says, this is how we got to this point. This is just the next chapter of what God has been doing in the world. And by the end of that sermon, people are asking, okay, what do we do now? Peter gives an altar call. Repent, be baptized, join the movement. God will give you this same gift. Believe in him. And God adds 3,000 people to the church that day. And now we get to our passage. So loaded is probably an underwhelming term to explain what's happening in these next six verses. Because these next six verses explain everything that happened next. They pan out from Peter's sermon and they give this 20,000 foot view of what's happening in downtown Jerusalem amongst all these new Christians. What's happening within the church. So what happened when the church gathered in these early days? Like I said, Four commitments that they, were, that they had devoted themselves to. To learn, to care, to connect, to pray. But I want to stop right at the beginning of that title. That, those commitments. The text says that they devoted themselves to these things. To these elements. They committed themselves. They, they persisted in. They were intentional. They were constant. They were committed to learning together. Caring together. Connecting together. Praying together. They were committed to being together. The first Christians devoted themselves to these simple but profound realities. And they did it because as soon as you get saved, you get put into a people. You don't just do things on your own to figure it all out. In fact, you read to the story of Acts, when that happens, it's kind of an anomaly. You got to come to church, like you got to come be part of this group. They were committed to being together. But what are those things that they were committed to as they were together? I mentioned already, the first is to learn. One of the most beautiful things about us as a church across all of our campuses, as a church here in Streamwood, is that we are committed to the word of God, amen? That we love the word of God. That the word of God is front and center. And that's what Luke is talking about here when he says that they are committed to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is not something that's lost to history. We have it right here. It's called the New Testament. And what do you think that they were teaching when they were teaching in those gatherings? Well, they were teaching the Old Testament and explaining what, just like Peter did in his sermon, this book altogether is what the church of God in its earliest gatherings committed to. TVC, it's, it's one of the most simple things I could say, but are we committed to the word of God? Are we committed to this book and everything that, God, everything that God wants us to know is right here in this book about how to live for him. 
but had lived life the way he intended it to live. There are other truths in the world, science, beautiful. It's not necessarily in here. God has truth in that. But, but everything you need to know to be a Christian, to live in this world, in wisdom, is right here in this book. And the earliest church, from the get-go, from the jump, was committed to this word of God, to listening to the apostles' teaching. But I'm not going to dive too far into that because next week we're going to have a whole sermon about talking about the word of God and hearing from God. So I'm going to table that, and it's not because I don't want to talk about this more. I had to restrain myself. I know you guys don't want to be here till 2 p.m., but we're going to preach about this again next week. So I'm not skipping it. I'm just pausing. Cool? They were committed when they gathered to listening to the word of God, to learn together. But the second, or the, the thing that I want you to realize here when we talk about the word of God, so I'm not going to move into um, talking about what is the word of God and everything we're going here, but I want to talk about the effects of the word of God. Because look at verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This devotion, this commitment to the word of God has ripple effects. This gathering around the word of God, this teaching not only affected the church, but everyone around them. The same people that Peter preaches to earlier in the chapter, these same people that are summarized in this one verse that's filled with awe, have their mouths hanging open. They're seeing all that is happening, they're overwhelmed and they find it hard to believe, but there it is. The deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised to life, the lame walk, something is happening in downtown Jerusalem and it's awesome in every sense of that word. In fact, it might be making them nervous. This crowd that heard Peter's sermon this crowd that is filled with awe is filled in, in, with awe because of what they heard and what they saw. Because when God's church gathers, God moves. When God's church gathers and God moves, a world that is broken by sin starts to be made right. And what was wrong starts to come back together. What happens when God's church gathers? The word of God is preached and people come to know Jesus. You see, from the very beginning... The gathering of God's people, this spirit-filled gathering of God's people is living out the mission of the spirit to spread the good news of Jesus, to be his witnesses. But there's a second commitment. Our family in the faith, this history, our lineage, this genealogy of the church was not just devoted to the word of God, they were also devoted to each other, to the fellowship. They were committed to caring for one another. Look at verses 44 through 45. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What happens when the church gathers? Christians love one another. They are devoted to one another. Not only are they present together, but the text says they had everything in common. And what's happening here is a mindset, is a way of thinking. The people of God no longer operate on, on the economic principle of scarcity, of there's not enough, of I've got to protect what's mine, when Luke explains that they have everything in common, he's explaining that they, they are viewing the world in a way where they actually believe what Psalm 50 says, that our God is the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that they are living out with what the word of God says, what Jesus said in Matthew 6, that we don't have to worry about food or drink or clothes because our Father knows that we need them and he will provide for that. They are living out a mindset where we, they actually believed that God took care of his people through his people. And that's what's unique about this because it's not just a way of thinking. It's not just a, a mindset shift. 
Look at verse 45 again. It is a way of life. The early gathering of God's people not only had all things in common, they were willing to live that out. They sold their property, their possessions. Why? The text tells us. Because someone within their family had a need, and they were going to provide for that need. This community that kept preaching that God cares for people demonstrated that care by caring for people. Demonstrated God's care by caring for people. Now, this is, not, uh, this is not something where they showed up and became Christians and then signed all, over all of their assets to the, the, the greater cause. Remember what I said context? This is how I know that. Look at the next verse. They met in homes. So if they're selling property, some people have not sold their homes and they're still able to meet in homes. This is not necessarily about selling property and possessions as much as meeting needs. And we get so caught up on the first that we worry and like, okay, that means I don't have enough, that we forget what the point is. To give to others, to care for the community that God has put around us, that God has put us into. What happens when the church gathers? We are devoted to each other and we show that devotion by taking care of each other. And this is why I love to hear about what God has done through this community here at TBC. Yes, this is where I'm about to brag on what God has done through this group right here. Because this past week, I heard that in 2019, we had, we had over 500 nights of hosting kids through safe families. Our familia loved and supported some kids in some really difficult situations with their familia. From meals to finances to babysitting to rides, hanging out with them during church, helping with homework, dropping off snacks and cribs and clothes, from praying and listening to our host families, caring for them, emotionally supporting them, this community this body of believers here in Streamwood communicated the care of God by being the care of God. And when our local outreach director, Melissa Duncan, told me that this past week, I knew I had to praise God with you guys for that here this morning, but to show you that this is what Luke means, this is how it's playing out in Acts, this is how it played out among us just this past year. It's that kind of crazy devotion to each other, to those who step into this community that we need to keep stepping into TVC if we're going to follow in the line of our family, our church family. What they did from the very beginning, we continue today. It's a sign of health when love and compassion is not just something that we talk about, but something that we do. It's a sign of health within a church when we know needs because we know each other and we meet needs because we love each other constantly over and over again because we gather because we actually are together in whatever ways. This church, I don't know if you guys have caught on, but they were in each other's business, right? They are constantly around each other. There's a lot of room to be annoyed, right? Like, okay, you've been in my house five times this week. I need a weekend. Like, give me some space. Like, that's not how this church operated. They were in each other's business, and they provided for each other. And it was the overflow of a heart that was affected by the generosity of Christ at the cross, that now overflowed in generosity to everybody within their community. I want to be careful to reiterate that this isn't about selling all your property. It's a stumbling block in this passage that we miss what God is talking about when caring for each other. Remember the context. They still had homes. In fact, in a later story in Acts, a couple gets in trouble, and not because they sold their property, but because when they sold their property, they lied about how much money they made because they wanted to be seen as generous as other people in the community. The problem there wasn't even that they didn't sell. It was the heart and motive behind it. 
This is about the heart and the motive. We care for one another in the church community. And the beauty of the early church is that no matter who you were, the things that you owned were not mere financial assets. They were kingdom assets. They were leveraged by use or by sale for the good of others. And their devotion to fellowship was seen again and again in response to specific needs of people in the community, motivated for love for those people within the community. And that was only possible because the people were in community. They were gathered together daily. The people knew each other. So what happens when the church gathers? The church learns and the church cares. The church is devoted to the word of God and to the fellowship. But the church is also devoted to breaking bread with one another. This is our third commitment. This is the third activity that they were devoted to, connecting with one another. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor with all the people. They met or gathered together every day, regularly. It was ongoing. And what did they do when they gathered? They met in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. They gathered together in the same place and then gathered again in different places. And they gathered. They gathered and they gathered and they gathered. They gathered in a way that their relationships, their community, their fellowship actually extended beyond the sacred space of the temple into their everyday environments in their home. They were devoted to this. They were committed to doing life together, to being in each other's business to connecting over a meal, to sharing God's provision with one another, eating with glad and sincere hearts, praising God with joy, with authenticity. They had real relationships because in these moments they shared real food across a real table. And this is still our lineage, our history. These are still the people we come from as a church, as a congregation, we also gather regularly. We're still committed to doing life together. And yeah, the practice has shifted today. This is not necessarily how it would have looked like back then, but the principle remains the same. As a body of believers, we are to be in each other's lives regularly. This isn't just some Sunday event that we come to. This is real life. The church isn't a building. It's a people. Whether it meets in this particular building or in all these particular homes, the church remains the church. We are a part of each other's lives. And this is why we as one church across all these different locations believe so strongly in even things like small groups. Right? Because it doesn't just stop on a Sunday morning. We're supposed to keep gathering. And yes, here we call them life groups, but th this is the backbone of community, to gather together regularly over and over again. We don't live the Christian life in isolation. The early church in the shadow of the resurrection, ascension of Jesus, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, was committed to meeting with each other regularly in both sacred spaces and in everyday environments. But here's what's crazy. This morning we gather here, and this space is sacred. But it's not because we call this the church building. It's because God is here with us. It's because amongst every one of us, the Holy Spirit indwells in you if you're a believer. And when we come together, God is here among us. He is present. He has promised to be present with his people by his spirit. But the beauty of what God has done in the church is that it doesn't just stop when you walk out this building. That when you gather with other believers in your everyday environments, all of a sudden those spaces become sacred too. Because believers are gathered together around couches, around the table, outside, and the Spirit of God is present there among us. So when we talk about finding your fit here and, and getting connected to a group, it's not just because I, I kind of want to start another cool program and I want you guys to number. It's because we're trying to do this. We're trying to gather regularly in groups because we as a church want to continue to meet 
regularly, like the early church has always done. Again, it's taken different shapes throughout the centuries, but the, the principle remains the same. Believers must be in each other's lives regularly. So shameless plug, if you want to be in a life group, pause, step away. If you want to be in a life group, please email me. Please come talk to me after the service. I want to make that connection a reality, but it's because I believe so strongly in this. Because none of us should be trying to walk this faith on our own. And Sunday morning is not enough. We are all together. Now, what happens when we gather? What happens when the church gathers? We learn, we care, and we connect. And like the text says, they met in large groups and smaller groups in all these different kinds of groups. But now we come to our final commitment. They were committed to praying together. We talked about it last week. Pastor Rob opened up Luke 11. We talked about prayer there. We also prayed that morning, had an extended time of prayer that morning, and actually had a prayer event that evening at our West Chicago building. I have to say it was really, really awesome to see a number of the TVC families there praying together at the West Chicago building with all of our other campuses. It's because we as a church believe in what the church believed in way back then, that we were supposed to be committed to prayer. From the very beginning, our church family was committed to prayer. And I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, but the church here in Acts, their default response was to pray. Read the book. Over and over again, it's, it's like it's instinctual for them. Knee-jerk reaction. Paul comes out of prison, all right, start praying. Something gets hard, pray. Is that our instinct? Or is our last resort to pray? And we're kind of at the end of our rope. The church prayed because they were committed to praying. And our DNA hasn't changed. We're still a church that must be committed to praying. The people of God are a praying people. So what happens when God's people gather? They pray. And this is why I said it last week, and I'll keep saying it again. It is one of my great privileges and responsibilities as your pastor to pray for you. It's one of the most important, I mentioned it multiple times, one of the most important things I can do for you guys. I want to know what I can be praying for. For you guys. Send me an email. Text prayer to the office number. You're not texting a robot. That's actually a person that will send that prayer request. We as a pastoral team want to be praying with and for you. And I really mean that. I want my week to be flooded with prayer requests. Like where I, I just, I, hey, I can't go to that meeting. I, I got too many things that I got to pray for. That I told my, the people that are here that we're praying for them. It's one of the most important things we can do. So what happens when the people of God gather? They're constantly committed and devoted to learning, caring, connecting, praying. And how do people, God's people gather? The text tells us regularly, over and over again, daily, in both large groups and small groups. But I promised you that I would tell you the why, that I wasn't just going to tell you the what and the how. Why do God's people gather? The reason Christians gather, the reason they have always gathered, is because, like this text shows us, something fundamental has happened to us. Something completely core to the early church then and us now has changed. We gather because of what Jesus did. We who believe gather because Jesus has rescued us from our sin. Because in doing so, Jesus didn't just clear the record and make sure that you were clean and forgiven, but he united you, every Christian here, with himself and in so doing, united us with each other. We gather because of what Jesus did. 
That the fundamental truth about each of us, the, the Bible not, not only describes the church as this, this gathering, but actually calls the church to gather to put on visible display this truth, that we are united in Christ. We gather because of what Jesus did. We, we express joy and gratitude to God in worship by singing and praying and reading scripture and hearing the word of God preached and celebrating the ordinances of baptism and communion, which we'll talk about later in the series, all because of what Jesus has done. But the story here in Acts describing this gathering gives us another explanation. We gather because of what God did, does. Look at the book. Look at the story. Sorry, the passage. Embedded within this passage is a call for the church to gather. Look at what happens. Something, something fundamental changes in them. Jesus saves them, and they respond by committing themselves to these four things, to these realities, and to live out that commitment by gathering. And what happens when they do that? Their lives as a community become this visible, tangible, real testimony to the people around them. They're filled with awe, with wonder, healthy, reverential fear, maybe a nervous curiosity. What in the world is happening? A few verses earlier, 3,000 people get added in a day after a sermon. But look at that last half of verse 47. This gathering of God's people over and over again, day in and day out, God responds by adding people day in and day out. We gather because of what God did then and what he will do in us. God saves people and brings them into his church, his gathering, precisely because of his gathering. When we gather, when we preach the gospel, when people hear it, when they see us committed to each other, the Bible, say, the Bible says they will see our love. They will see our love, and that is a witness to them of this good news of Jesus. You see, the Spirit of God in Acts worked in the people of God to bring about real faith regularly. They gathered together daily and God added to their number daily because the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit who created a missionary church that gathers to be on mission. We gather because of what Jesus did. But we also gather because of what Jesus does when we gather. And he moves and he saves. He shapes us to look more like Jesus and brings more people to do that. Why do we gather? Because God has saved us and brought us into a relationship with himself and with each other. And we express that when we are committed to loving and serving each other, to learning, caring, connecting, and praying. The early church gathered because that's how they expressed their new relationship to God. We gather because that's how we express our new relationship to God and to each other. We gather not just because God said so, not just because he warns against not gathering, but because in gathering, in gathering, God continues to shape us with his gospel to look more like Jesus, to be on mission. This is our lineage. This is our genealogy. This is our history. The, the DNA of the church hasn't changed. Practices have changed, but we are still this same church. And in line with this same church, our community that has a long history that extends back into Acts 2, when we gather, we proclaim the truth of the gospel, and we do that in a number of ways. We've mentioned it a bunch of times. We pray, we sing, we hear the word preached. But for centuries, the church has also gathered and proclaimed the truth of the gospel by reciting what we're about to recite in just a minute, called the Apostles' Creed. It's something we've done as a church before, but we haven't done it since we regathered. And, and, and I wanted to do it this week as a way to respond and, and proclaim the truth of the gospel gathered together this morning. For centuries, the church scattered amongst the nations gathered in local bodies, has declared these truths. And so together, this morning, I want us to proclaim what we believe, both as a prayer to God affirming our faith, but also as a reaffirmation of why we gather. Because we say 
these truths are true because we actually believe what we're about to say. So, I've been working up to it. I want us to actually read this together, to join our voices and proclaim these truths. It's going to be up on the screen. Just follow along as we read. Cool? All right, I'll start us. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.